Welcome to the Littler Artificial Intelligence and Robotics Podcast. Conversations about employers integrating robotics and AI systems into their workplaces in the United States and worldwide. Hello, listeners. This is Natalie Pierce, and I co-chair Littler's Robotics, Artificial Intelligence, and Automation Practice Group. And with me is Alka. Alka, you want to introduce yourself? Absolutely. I am Alka Ramchandani Raj. I am of counsel at Whitler in its Walnut Creek office and a member of Whitler's workplace safety and health practice group. As listeners may know, Littler's robotics, AI, and automation practice group is dedicated to ensuring that employers in the technology sector and employers that are integrating technological advances into their workplaces can navigate the complex and evolving terrain of employment and labor law. Robotics and AI offers opportunities to upskill jobs and create safer working environments, but adoption must be thoughtful. So today, we will focus on safety and health regulations and their impact on these new technological advances. And Alka, you will be our guide. Great. Thank you, Natalie. As employers become savvier with new technologies in the workplace, Employees are exposed to novel hazards, working with new machines and equipment. Historically, employers have tried to evaluate the equipment and tried to apply draconian, outdated regulations to these new technologies, and or have tried to assess the equipment to determine if they could be liable under federal OSHA's general duty clause or some other state equivalent regulation. But there is a lot of guidance out there. Good. So, Salka, before we get started discussing that helpful guidance, can you share with our listeners your background in OSHA and specifically CalOSHA? Of course. For the past several years, I've represented employers in occupational safety and health administration matters, with my primary focus being CalOSHA. Within my focus, I assist employers in pre-injury incident prevention practices and post-crisis incident litigation. And I also practice some general employment advice and counsel and and litigation. All right. So why don't we get to the heart of today's discussion? And we're really going to be talking about some of these technologies that we're seeing increasingly put into the workplace, like uh, the new generation of industrial robotics, collaborative robotics, human augmentation, and virtual reality. It seems like Every day we are presented with more evidence that automation is having profound consequences on the nature of work in America. For instance, there was a recent report that detailed how using robots worldwide has tripled over the last 20 years to 2.25 million machines, but the global stock of robots in the industry has more than doubled since 2010, and roughly one-third of those robots are now being installed in China. How do you see the next generation of robotics changing the safety requirements in a workplace? Well, robots are changing the workplace. The risk to routine and repetitive injuries are reducing because robotics is changing the exposure to the stressors of the human body. For example, we are likely to see a huge reduction in work-related back and knee injuries. Well, Alka, that is really great news that injuries will likely be drastically reduced. 
I read recently that the average cost of a back injury related workers' comp claim can be upwards of forty to eighty thousand dollars per employee. Yes, that's accurate. According to OSHA, the direct costs attributable to work related muscular skeletal disorders totals fifteen to eighteen billion dollars per year, with a lot of indirect costs such as management costs or the cost of production losses increasing the cost to employers to more than $45 billion per year. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reported just a few years ago in 2013 that overexertion and bodily reaction accounted for the largest percentages of missed work, particularly among laborers and freight, stock, and material movers and nursing assistants. To be specific, they state that of the 443,560 sprain, strain, and tear cases reported in 2012, 63% were the result of overexertion and bodily reaction. Of that 63%, the highest majority were to the back, with the next highest being the shoulder and or the knee. Well, then it's really great to hear that robotics has great potential to lead to huge cost benefit in terms of workers' compensation claims. What issues do you think will become more prevalent for OSHA with these new automated pieces of equipment? Well, with new equipment comes new hazards. Cobots and robotic equipment usually have exoskeletons that present different hazards. OSHA has identified four types of hazards or injuries that they anticipate. Number one, impact or collision accidents caused by unpredicted movement, component malfunctions, or unpredicted program changes. The second thing that they identify is crushing and trapping accidents where a worker's limb or other body part can be trapped between a robot's arm and other peripheral equipment, or the individual may be physically driven into and crushed by other peripheral equipment. The third type that they anticipate is mechanical part accidents, where there's a breakdown of the robot's drive components, tooling, or end effector, or its peripheral equipment, or even its power source, where there is some kind of creation of a mechanical accident. Finally, the fourth type that they see is where there's some other type of accident, such as where the equipment that supplies the robot with power and or control creates some kind of electrical or pressurized fluid hazard or some kind of other environmental accidents occur because of an arc flash, metal spatter, dust, electromagnet, or radio frequency interference. OSHA predicts most of these injuries and illnesses will not occur because of the movement of the robot but rather only when the individual is adjusting speeds, correcting grips, and or freeing up jams. OSHA's own research has determined that robot accidents do not occur under normal operating conditions, but rather during programming, adjustment, testing, cleaning, inspection, and or repair periods. You may have our listeners a bit concerned here, (laughs) but I know that with these warnings come great guidance to assuage employers' concerns. So specifically, how do we increase trust in robotics from a safety perspective? 
Specifically, is OSHA created any guidance, or do they have any thoughts on how to ensure humans can interact with this next generation of robotics? Yes, OSHA has given it a lot of thought. The American National Standard, or ANSI, has been created by the Robotic Industry Association. In general, OSHA's view on robot safety is that if the employer is meeting the requirements of the ANSI standard for industrial robots and robot systems, basically their safety requirements, then the manufacturer has no issues. The ANSI standard references the international standard, which is really effective because it globalizes the safety measures necessary for the use of workplace robots. The ANSI standard provides guidance on proper use of the safety features embedded into robots, including how to safely integrate robots into factories and work areas. For example, the ANSI standard provides guidance on four types of collaboration, safety monitored stops, hand guiding, speed and separation monitoring, and power force lifting. This essentially holds information, including guidance on maximum speed allowed, minimum protective distances, and a measure of separate distance and data to verify the threshold limit values for power and force to ensure safe work for the operator. Well, that's great. And what about the mobility of robots that we're seeing today, such as with mobile robots? I mean, we will be interfacing directly with these robots. Are there standards in that regard? Well, Robotic Industries Association has also created separate standards for these mobile robots. One of the elements discussed is a warning system that identifies that when the robot will change a direction or start movement after a full stop. These alerts are either audible, visual, or a combination of both, and I really believe that they will assist the operator. So what is it then that employers can do to protect employees from these hazards? Well, first, the employer must conduct a job hazard analysis of all hazards that employees may encounter by working alongside industrial robots and cobots, including those ingrained with AI in the workplace. If the employer is using human augmentation or other types of AI, the employer must conduct a full hazard analysis of the operation involving the robot. The analysis should include what tasks the robot is to perform, including the startup and setup procedures for the robot. It should include the environmental conditions and locations of the robot. It should include requirements to include tasks to sustain normal operations, such as clearing jams, human errors, and possible robot malfunctions. OSHA has identified certain sources, such as robot hazards, but tellingly, the largest source is human error. In addition, the employer should review potential control errors, unauthorized access, mechanical hazards, environmental hazards, and electric, hydraulic, and pneumatic power sources. That is super helpful. And let's keep going with this guidance. So take us to the next step. After the employer has conducted this thorough hazard assessment, what should the employer do next? Then the employers must implement what I call the EATS process. The strategy for the EATS process is to evaluate engineering controls, administrative controls, train employees on these controls and personal protective equipment, and finally, routinely conduct site safety inspections. 
So let's focus on those engineering controls. What are engineering controls and how do they help reduce injuries? Engineering controls are methods built into the design of the equipment or the process to minimize the hazard. They can be extremely reliable as they are fixed into the robot. Examples of these are guards on exoskeletons where there's a gap and where an employee can have their finger or other appendage pinched, crushed, or otherwise injured. With cobots and other type of robots, and especially with human augmentation, employers must focus on engineering controls that are localized on the equipment. Some ideas for guarding measures are interlocked or fixed barrier guards where there need not to be continual human and robot contact, or an employer can implement awareness barrier guards, which allow for some contact, but provide for a positive protection needed to prevent an employer from exposure to robotic system hazards. And finally, the employer can also include present sensing devices like sensors, light curtains, pressure mats, floor mats, or other type of detectors that operate on electrical capacity, ultrasonic, radio frequency, laser, or television principles. These present sense devices are developed to stop all motion of a robot if a worker's body enters a protected zone. Factors that go into effect with these devices include spatial limitations of the field, environmental conditions affecting the reliability of the field, and sensing field interference due to robot operation. OSHA also looks for emergency robot braking and emergency stop buttons and audible and visual warning systems. Having engineering controls does not eliminate the need to have administrative controls, training, or site safety inspections to ensure the equipment is in good working condition. Super helpful. And now I guess I want to focus a little bit on those administrative controls. How is it that administrative controls assist with safety measures? Well, these administrative controls are there to guide employees on what they must do and to ensure management is holding employees accountable. In California, the regulations require an injury and illness prevention program. Otherwise known as an IIPT, or sometimes called federally the I2P2, the IIPP outlines the duties of all employees in management. As part of the IIPP, the employer must provide procedures to identify and correct all hazards. The IIPP or safety reference manual must contain plans and procedures such as machine guarding, lockout, tagout, maintenance of equipment, and other processes to ensure the machine is working in good condition. Employers should also make sure their IIPP or safety handbooks procedures identify the hazards and corrective measures they have taken for each piece of equipment, and these procedures should be reevaluated yearly at a minimum to ensure that they remain effective and properly implemented. All right, so let's shift to training. Alka, how does training come into play? So even with engineering controls and administrative controls, employees can still be careless. I always say you can rely on a robot, but you cannot rely on the common sense of an employee. And you have to have safety measures to prevent accidents due to lack of common sense. Injuries that usually occur with AI involve human error. Sometimes having engineering controls and administrative controls may seem to be sufficient, but without proper explanation to employees, they are ineffective. 
injuries involving AI mostly occur due to training and or maintaining the equipment in a good condition. For example, was the employee trained on how to clear the faults or jams, how to press the e-stop buttons, how to start the equipment? OSHA has provided guidance stating that effective accident prevention programs contain several types of training, including training for manager and supervisors in working aspects of robots so they can set up and enforce a policy with an informed viewpoint, training on the robot safety policies to all personnel that may come in contact with robots or that are working with robots. The policy should identify who is allowed to work with robots and who is not allowed to work with robots. Strict instructions on programming and maintenance and who is allowed to perform these tasks on the robots. They should also include training and hazard recognition and control of the robots, including indications of a jam and where a potential crushing, pinching, or other injurious location may be located on the robot. There should also be training and safeguarding methods while operating the robot and finally, training to familiarize employees with the robot's potentially hazardous energy sources. Tellingly, with human augmentation, this will be significant because the body is directly in contact with the energy source. What an excellent summary on a guidance regarding training. Super helpful. So let's now focus on something else you highlighted, Alka. Why are safety inspections so important? I mean, we have engineering controls, administrative controls, and employees are now trained on how to operate and stay away from dangerous conditions. So why safety inspections? Well, Natalie, in many cases, it is not the engineering controls, administrative controls, or the training that is at fault, but something that goes wrong with the equipment. This is rare with robots, but rather more with items like sensors that need to be frequently replaced or other equipment that deal with programming errors. For instance, issues with good working conditions may arise if the robot is not operating at its designated speed, where the engineering controls are not properly operating, or where it is not being maintained in accordance with manufacturer's guidelines. So it is imperative that employers conduct periodic site inspections and or equipment checks to ensure that the equipment is in good working condition and operating as it is supposed to operate. Perfect. So I'm going to ask you something a little bit off the topic. We haven't quite gotten to this, but I want to ask you, is virtual reality playing any part in the safety world? I'm glad you are asking me this question. We have yet to see how virtual reality affects employees and whether it causes any injury or illnesses. Recently, however, some employers, especially in the construction industry, have been using virtual reality to help train employees. Virtual reality training allows employees to see danger zones and hazards. It provides a more comprehensive and realistic training to employees to ensure they can visualize how to stay safe. That is fascinating. I, for one, am a huge advocate of looking to tools like augmented reality and virtual reality to help train workforces. I know our military, for example, is leveraging these technologies to save money and to reduce injuries 
for what would otherwise be very risky training, such as pilot training. So that is our report for today on robotics and AI in the safety world. Thanks, Alka, for joining me here today for this very important discussion. Great to be here, Natalie. Happy to participate. Thank you to our listeners as well. Stay tuned for further robotics and AI podcasts, and please check out our practice group page on Littler's website, www.littler.com. Thank you. Bye-bye. The purpose of this program is to provide helpful information for employers, addressing the latest developments in labor and employment relations. It is not a substitute for experienced legal counsel and does not provide legal advice or attempt to address the numerous factual issues that arise in any employment-related issue. To discover other labor and employment podcast series from Littler, the largest global employment and labor law practice, visit littler.com slash podcasts.